Welcome aboard! We will be your guides during this magical journey into the movies. It's the perfect job for us because we love the movies. It's showtime! Ready when you are, CB! Action! Welcome to Monorail Radio, episode number 274. I'm Sean. And I'm Jackie. And we have a very exciting week coming up this week. House of Mouse Expo at the Osceola Heritage Center is going to be this week. More on that later. But we are very excited because we have our dear friend, Sash, joining us on Monorail Radio this week. Sash, how are you doing? Good morning, my favorite people ever. <laughs> I'm fantastic. Bright-eyed and bushy. Yeah, I hope we don't ruin that. Uh, so <laughs> let's... All right, so it's funny because for for those who have been with us for a while, you know that I am a fan of doing What the February, doing a full month of WTF movies, movies that you see the tiles on Disney+, Plus, you wonder, WTF, or movies that you've only heard of through Disney lore, and you say, WTF, you don't share the same enthusiasm for what the February that I do. Not after last year when it it was just like the air getting sucked out of a room. You know, January, we do all of the more recent films that had big theatrical releases and it's a great month and it's exciting to talk about new stuff. And then the balloon just pops with what the February, because nine times out of 10, the films have been horrible. We have found a couple of gems by exploring these lesser-known titles like Apple Dumpling Gang, like yeah. Cat from Outer Space, but we've just been hitting dud after dud after dud. So I was not looking forward to doing a whole month of What the February, but I allowed you one week of it, and we maybe hit the mother load. So, Sash, I want to publicly apologize to you for having this be your episode, um, because for our listeners who don't know, we've known Sash for a really long time. Um, we've been going to his restaurant, The Whale's Tale, which is located in Northport on Long Island. So if you're around, go pay him a visit at Whale's Tale. They have the best tacos on the planet. I've eaten a lot of tacos, so I can attest to that. Um, and Sash recently launched his own podcast called Behind the Blowhole. And um, he's had a lot of success with it. Um, we were guests on his podcast, and we wanted to reciprocate and have him back on ours. Um, and and he probably wouldn't have come knowing <laughs> what this movie was and what we were going to throw at him. <laughs> uh, but thank you for being here. So for our listeners, um, I want to get into a little bit about your Disney fandom, because you are a DVC member. And, you know, you're not the dad who begrudgingly comes here and is just here to fund the trip. Like, you you really seem to enjoy your time at the parks. And I think that that's because um, you're very, I mean, obviously you're a very successful restaurateur. You know a thing or two about hospitality. And I, I think that that's where your love of Disney comes from. So I want to talk a little bit about that. And then taking it one step further, I also want to know, um, what's your history with Disney movies? Like, do you have a favorite? Is that something that... Um, you know, you came to later in life when you had kids, uh, because I realized for as much as we've talked about Disney and as much as we've bonded over that, I don't even know really your history about movies. All right. Well, thank you for inviting me and thank you for allowing me to watch that uh, piece of train wreck of garbage of a movie last night, which I can't <laughs> wait to talk about. I'm just kidding. It was quite enlightening. But um, 
I went to, I only went to Disney once when I was a kid and we just didn't have the means to go. So I went when I was like 12 with my mother and, and we stayed off premise and it wasn't a great experience. My wife, her grandparents, so they would go down like every year. So she was like obsessed with Disney and she dragged me down there. That was like her big thing. We got to go. We got to go. And I went down there when my oldest was like two. And she was pregnant with my second. And it was horrific. I was like, this is this is awful. Why am I doing this? I was in a different state of mind. And I got to tell you, pushing around a pregnant lady with a two-year-old is not great. And we would go back every single year. And finally, as the kids got like a little bit older, I drank the Kool-Aid. I said, why am I fighting this? Just go with it and be cheesy and live it up. And I And so finally, one year we were down there. And I surprised them by buying into DVC. And now I like it far more than they do. I love it. Because you know what? You just go down there and you just, like, stop fighting it. Don't be one of those people that's miserable standing up. Like, just get into it, man. Just let it all out. It's awesome. I have a ball now. And, yes, the hospitality is hands down the best that there is. So I, I enjoy that aspect of it. But I just, I just love being there with my family and just acting like a, a dope. You know, what's not to like? Love it. Yeah. Always they just go there and just be a big kid, right? Yeah. I love it. And, and my favorite movie, so to answer that one, um, I mean, growing up, I definitely like some of the classics like Snow White and, and things like that. But I am 100% the biggest fan of Frozen. And, and it's just because when my girls were kids, they, two years, I'm talking two years, every single day of their lives, every day, they dressed up and, and acted out that movie as Elsa and Anna. And it was like the greatest age and just the greatest memories of my life. They would knock on the door and sing the songs nonstop every friggin' day. I just loved it. So... <laughs> That's, that's just so just the greatest cute. memory as a dad ever. Oh, that's not what I was expecting because most people, most parents are so over frozen, but I love that you're still embracing it. Not what I was expecting at all. I, I was thinking maybe I, like I a, honestly, I miss it. It was just the best time. You know, they, they got along with one another. They just, that movie, they were obsessed with that movie. And for a good reason, everybody, it was a great movie. Everybody loved it. So I was, I would think I was more excited for the second one than, than they were because there was a couple of years in between them, right? Yeah. And and they grew out of it. So I was really pumped. I was a little let down, probably more so because they weren't so thrilled about it and it wasn't as good as the first one, but still, it was cool. Well, I'll tell you what, there are two more Frozens coming and my Frozen, it's never just a phase. I love Frozen. So I will go see the next two with you. And I promise I will be just as enthused I as a little know. girl I'm will be. <laughs> and you And you can come down and you can That's stay fantastic. with us. You when can come down. Coming out? Uh, 25. 25, I think, is going to be Frozen 3. And I don't think that they, they've announced that they're going to do a 4, but we don't have a date yet. But you can come down and you can hang with us and you won't have to burn any of your DVC points to do it. Oh, can I come without my family and hang with you? Yeah, sure. Why not? That's the only way we do Disney. <laughs> All right. All right. So talking <laughs> about one of Disney's greatest films, we're going to now talk about 
this this might be the worst. I mean, I hate to spoil it, but there's just no way around it. This might be, I don't know if it's fair to say the worst film that they've ever made, but certainly the worst one that we've ever watched. Are we ready for this? Yeah, and I don't know if it's the worst one that we've ever watched. Ooh. But we'll we'll talk about that later. Let's is it the worst we've ever watched? What made this one so much of a miss and does it feel like it's canon for other films that on top of uh, many other things is what we are here to discuss today this episode is sponsored by fierce fox co designers of handmade silkscreen shirts fierce fox has a t-shirt tank top hoodie or crew neck for every fandom so whether it's the movies or theme parks princesses or villains the mcu or star wars everyone will find something they love the designs range from subtle quotes from our favorite films to iconic characters we can wear proudly in so many different styles such as sketchbook and concert tees listeners of monoreal radio can get a 20 discount using the code monoreal at checkout visit fiercefoxco.com to check out all of the collections we meet scientist albert Dooley, a family man struggling to pay the bills his wife katie tries to help the budget um by making homemade applesauce but the uh, results are disastrous however she packs it for his lunch anyway after he lies about enjoying it when albert arrives at work at the uh animal lab that he works in uh the animals get their hands on his lunch and a duck eats the applesauce when Dr. Gottlieb becomes fed up with the duck's performance in the learning lab. After the duck literally and figuratively lays an egg, he throws the duck out of the lab. The duck wanders into the radiation lab and becomes irradiated before Albert takes her home to save her life. Um, And his son, Jimmy, becomes attached and names the duck Charlie. After an altercation with their neighbor, Mr. Hooper, and his dog, the family see Charlie lay four eggs after hearing their dog bark. The dog next door, this is. When Albert goes to bury the eggs that night, he sees that the yolks inside are gold. He hires his friend Fred to help incorporate after learning scientifically that the duck can lay synthetic golden eggs. However, Katie gave the duck to a farmer named Mr. Purdom. They find Charlie and Fred and Albert decide to partner, but spend no money until they are legally protective. Uh, After the bank calls Katie about writing bad checks, she takes a gold egg to the bank and tries to deposit it. However, they redirect her to a refinery. While Albert was initially upset, Fred uh, Fred tells them that they can't get the license to sell gold, so they decide to have Katie continue to sell eggs to refineries all over the state because no one would suspect or question or believe her claims about the duck. However, one refinery does become suspicious and calls the U.S. Treasury, whom Mr. Hooper works for. The Treasury starts to investigate and begins to panic as word spreads that someone has learned how to make gold hurting its value. Hooper sees that Mrs. Dooley used Albert's real name at a refinery and begins to investigate them personally. Albert also tells Fred that eventually the radiation will wear out and the duck will no longer lay golden eggs. Hooper sees Charlie lay a golden egg and tries to bribe Jimmy with a new bike in exchange for an egg. Katie intercepts and tells Albert that he is on to them. Hooper tells the treasury of the duck and further investigation showed that Albert had previously spoke to Dr. Gottlieb about golden eggs. So President Nixon himself instructs the treasury to capture Charlie. The treasury officials arrive to take the duck. However, Jimmy escapes with Charlie to save her. They all spread out to find the pair, and eventually Albert rescues Jimmy as he hangs on a ladder between two buildings. 
The authorities take Charlie and arrest Albert. At his trial, Albert makes Charlie lay an egg. However, the radiation has worn off, and no longer will Charlie lay golden eggs. The case is dismissed, and Charlie is released back to Jimmy. The best thing about the movie (laughs) is the animated duck in the beginning. Yes, I love when Disney really (laughs) took their time with some opening titles and they did them upright with the song. And this was animated by Ward Kimball. So love to see. I have to imagine, though, that he had like a free afternoon or something and somebody just knocked on his office and was like, hey, can you bang this out? Just a quick little animation of a duck. Yeah, I can't imagine that it took all all that long. But to the film's credit, I think for the most part, in the first five minutes of this movie, they do a good job introducing us to all of these characters and showing us their financial struggles. You have Little Jimmy Wants a Puppy. His father will not allow him to have the puppy because they can't afford the $50 to adopt, plus the vet fees, the feeding, etc. and so forth, because they're behind on the bills. He was set up to be a successful scientist, to, you know, be financially stable. It's unfortunately not working out for them, and they're trying to balance the budget, and Katie... She tries in her own ways to balance the budget. To her, making homemade applesauce is a way of of helping, but she still likes to go to her dress shop. So you can see that there's a a tug of war going on. Between all three of them, really, that's about as good as the character development gets. I'm going to disagree with everything you said. It's so heavy-handed. It is just so heavy handed with the bills piling up and then they do the flashback to the graduation where he's supposed to be, you know, the most promising alumni or however it is that they phrased it. it it's just entirely heavy handed. The only thing that saves it for me is how innocent Jimmy is when he's like, I'll share my food with it. I thought that that was super cute. Well, let me um, just say that since you know me as well as you do, that it is very difficult for me to use the appropriate language that I want to make sure <laughs> you are a Disney audience. So I'm going to do the best that I can. There might be quite a few uh, beeps in this, but holy <laughs> that was the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I think you summed up the entire movie in, in your your little report on it, and there's no need to go any further. I did not think... Even, what was this, 1971? 71, yeah. yeah. 71. That Disney would even then put out something as horrendous as this. I mean, what what a pile of crap. It was awful. <laughs> I'm sorry. So it was terrible. There were a string of movies like this. This was about five years after Disney had passed, and his son-in-law had taken over Uh, production of some of the movies and I am thoroughly convinced after watching this that there was just a stack of scripts on Walt's desk that he left there that were in development and they just took them as they were before they were finished and said okay green light let's put some things into production because that's that's what it feels like there's just so much disconnect with this I mean I will say one of the things that I think it does really well is it's self-aware and that it keeps calling out Aesop's fable. And I like that they did that because, you know, once the duck does come into the picture, it's 
you know, it, it does seem so far fetched. So I like that they're, you know, it's just not like, oh, great, our problems are solved. Like they really do try and test it out. I want to circle back, though, to something that you said um, uh, in the setup here with Katie that she likes to buy her dresses and that that's part of why the bills are piling up here. This is where, you know, and I, I really don't want to sound like I'm getting up on a soapbox for this review, but like the the way that Katie is treated and clearly how women were being viewed in this film was one of the worst things about it for me. <laughs> it was totally back to the times of, and like this is, to Sasha's point, this was the 70s. The attitude towards Katie is like it's 1950 and not that it was okay then, but like, you know, Albert's view is totally like your place is in the kitchen and she is in the kitchen trying to solve the problem, but it's, oh, no, 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 no. You can't buy any more dresses, but I'm going to keep buying my lunches. Well, I think that that was more a, that was, that was missed comedy. I think that that was supposed to be a joke on she doesn't know how to cook. And we obviously see that with the fan bit. The fan keeps blowing the pages over, and that's why she puts things like mustard and garlic in the homemade applesauce. My big problem with it here is that we've seen, and we'll talk about cast in a little while, but we've seen Sandy Duncan before. And we saw Sandy Duncan in The Cat from Outer Space, which when you hear the title The Cat from Outer Space, you should sit here and think, oh my god, it's one of the worst films. No, The Cat from Outer Space despite its title, was one of my favorite films that we stumbled upon in f over five years or just about five years of doing this show. We've we've stumbled a across a few, like The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes was another good one. The sequel's not so much. Now, see, I liked it. I know you didn't care for it. But we've, we've found a few good ones. And what they did to hit the rewind button on Sandy Duncan, like, I, I don't like to use the term, but... They just kind of made her dumb in the movie. Like, and that that is going to be a, a through point, and that'll be a theme as we talk through uh, uh, more of it here. But, you know, to your point and, and to Sasha's point, like 1971, I mean, we're talking five, six years prior, seven years prior, you know, you've, you look, look at Mary Poppins and the suffragettes and, and, and votes for women. You know what I'm saying? Like, a more a more proper uh, depiction of of a period piece here. Not only do they dial her back twenty years, but they dial her back twenty years, and 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 then I think even like rewind her a little bit further than that. It's like it's like early fifties recovering from the late forties. It's <laughs> what they do with her here. I, I agree. I mean, like the, the fan blowing around the recipe is a really clever sight gag. I actually thought that that was funny, but they just don't do her any favors in this scene. Well, actually, no, they do one because they give her the line. What is a wife for? And while that is not the best takeaway from the movie, it's better that it came out of her mouth as opposed to Albert's. That would have made things 10 times worse. I personally think she was the best character in the movie, to be honest with you. I thought she was adorable, and I really appreciated that she was trying to, uh, you know, take care of the family. She was uh, bubbly and cute, and I kind of liked her in the dresses. Well, I mean, this is the thing, right? It's like, ultimately, the way they developed her character did her no favors, but at the end of the day, she is very innocent, and she is just trying, to your point, 
she's trying to do what she can to contribute to the family and make things better. And she's very aware of Jimmy. The whole film, like, for somebody that they really do water her down in terms of, you know, an overall personality, she's very in tune with Jimmy, and she's very in tune with, hey, Albert, your relationship with him is floundering. And, and in fact, I, I think what they tried to do early on, I, I almost feel like this movie went through a, a weird rewrite somewhere. No. Because, well, no, 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 just listen to me. <laughs> I don't think anybody looked at the script. I think they just put it out there. I think that early on, they were trying to develop a story where Albert and Jimmy, because she calls out the generation gap. Yes. And I think that they were, I think that's originally what they were trying to do. And then later on in the movie, you see that he's becoming even further detached from Jimmy because he's starting to become greedy with Charlie. I think that that was supposed to be the through point was a father and son generational gap. And I think somewhere in there, they rewrote her to just water her down. And that whole thing went out the window because at at times it feels like we're watching two different characters with Katie. I'm just going to say that um, what a formula that they came up with back then. I don't know. Just stick to friggin' princesses, man. That was terrible. (laughs) It was was bad. It was the U.S. Treasury. I mean, honestly, oh, my God. The U.S. Treasury, like, coming after them like that? What the hell was that about? They all piled in the friggin' Cadillac and were chasing them. I mean, does the U.S. Treasury chase after you like that? I don't know. Maybe. I, I think they just slap a warrant on the friggin' door and, you know, come and... It was... It was blech. <laughs> yeah, the US... Although I do have a healthy fear of the U.S. Treasury, that's for sure. <laughs> they were trying to throw their weight around like they were the FBI. But I did like the yeah. line, because we do get introduced to Mr. Hooper. Yes. Uh, who's played by Joe Flynn. And, and we're going to talk about kind of where I, I feel like some of these movies are sort of trying to live in the same multiverse or universe so to speak um so you've got mr hooper works for the treasury there is a very good line though about um when jimmy asks again if he can have 50 dollars for the puppy and uh albert goes we don't have any money uh the treasury has all of our money and he kind of says it with hooper listening in i thought that that was a very tongue-in-cheek a very funny highbrow line as much as it's on the nose that you have him as the neighbor most of the comedy came from having them right next door to each other. I actually think that, that that ended up working out. So being that you had them next door to each other, you know, I think that that was pretty strategic because of this pool scene. And you have to do something, obviously, to engage the kids that are watching. So, of course, what's funny, you're going to try and get all of these adults in the pool. Honestly, this scene is so hard for me to watch First of all, it's just chaos for chaos's sake. You've got Hooper saying, get the duck out of the pool, get out of my yard, get your hands off my sim- my skimmer, in succession. So which thing exactly do you want Albert to do first? Do you want the duck out of the pool or do you not want him to help you and get out of your yard? I just don't respond well to things like that to begin with. Um, but there were other ways of accomplishing this chaos of getting everyone in the water without putting so much stress on the animals. That I think to me is the worst part because they're hitting the duck with the skimmer. At one point when the dog goes in the pool, Hooper's like leaning on the dog and he goes under. And I mean, granted things have come a a lot, uh, um, things have come a lot farther 
for animal actors nowadays, but you can see that these animals are getting pretty stressed out. And for me, it's just a hard watch. I think that this entire pool scene is just a waste of Joe Flynn. You, Joe Flynn is legitimately funny. We saw him, even in the really bad parts of the sequels to uh, The Computer War Tennis Shoes, Joe Flynn was always very, very funny. And I think that they wasted his talent here. I think they wasted the comedy here. Um, and, and even he has some horribly written lines. I don't think it was in this... I can't remember if it was this scene or not, because they all become kind of conflated at one point. But... He comes home, like, he's sitting in the backyard, and she gives him a cocktail, and she's like, here, take your mind off that nasty treasury. And he's like, oh, thank you, honey. You're you're a good person. Like, I mean, you, you should think you married her. Like, it's only dawning on you now that she's a good person. Um, but, like, the whole thing just sort of becomes a mess and a waste. Sash... What did you think about this this scene with this pool, with, with all of them jumping in and getting thrown in in the most convenient ways possible? Well, I've uh, had three golden retrievers in my life, and I did not appreciate the way that they uh, made the golden like this evil animal. I don't think there was one scene in a movie that was good, to be honest with you. So, I mean, I could pretty much sum it up for you if I can, <laughs> but it was just bizarre. I don't know. It was bizarre. No, but that is a really good point, actually, because I feel like there are so many pieces that factor into the duck laying the golden eggs that really don't make sense. Because in the beginning, they put the they put so much emphasis on that applesauce. You just think that feeding the duck the applesauce yes. is going to be enough to do it. And it's also, you know, more comedy and taking a knock at Katie's cooking. The radiology I wasn't expecting at all. But now that's also compounded with you add in the dog barking to trigger the eggs. And again, stressing the animal. You're barking at the duck and, and that's what makes her, you know, just shoot an egg out. Um, I will say the prop eggs are pretty impressive, though, because obviously there's no way to get a golden nugget into an egg and put it back together, yolk and all. Um, so the way that the shells collapse, I thought was pretty convincing. I'll give it that much. That's probably the nicest thing I have to say about this movie. I ask you this question here. I mean, so whoever was writing this movie was like, let's go ahead and have three triggers in order for this miraculous golden egg to appear. One horrendous applesauce that only happened because the fan blew the recipe page and, she, and one other ingredient that was different, right? What was it? I don't know. Human or some weird. Then the thing had radiation. And then the dog had a bark. So all three of those things had to happen. Right. That's correct, right? Yeah. Yes. I mean, couldn't they couldn't it just be radiation and call it a day? <laughs> exactly. I mean, what was the point of the dog barking? I, I don't get it. Why? <laughs> Why? No, you're right. It's well, you know what it is? The the point was because they wanted the they wanted the adults this at the end of the day they were trying to make kids laugh by forcing adults to get on their hands and knees and bark like dogs and it was like i understand it's a kids movie but this is one of those instances where like you you shouldn't write down to kids you know what i'm saying yes. like 
kids are smart enough to find funny things funny. I mean, yeah, every now there's a reason why SpongeBob exists, right? Kids like stupid comedy. Like, of course they do. There's a reason why Dumb McDumber exists. People like us like to have a few and sit back and watch it. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with lowbrow. But I think that this is, an, this is an example of just writing stupidity because you're writing down to children. I agree. They do manage to bring that back around, though, because they use the barking to sort of dispel when people are on to them about the duck if it's the wrong pitch it won't lay the egg so if you're not doing you know like depending on who they're in front of if they're trying to prove it or if they're trying to conceal the secret they're using that to their advantage but you didn't need to sasha's point this ridiculous trifecta i think the applesauce would have been enough i do want to ask you though sash because this is the reason that we had you on for this episode. We're, we're at the point where, you know, obviously there, there's like five golden eggs out there now. And Sean's question was, what would you do with the million dollar duck? Because you are, you know, a brilliant businessman. We look up to you so much and all, all that you've accomplished. So what would you do? If, if you had this duck, because I can imagine you, you wouldn't care what the trifecta was. You'd be on your hands and knees barking if it was going to give you gold. Well, well, thank you for that. I mean, but they only made forty five hundred dollars anyway. So the first thing I would do is hire a better accountant to keep the treasury off my ass, to be honest with you. <laughs> but I don't know, man. I mean, I'm a little nervous now because I want to, like, make sure that if like we screw up our recipes over here if my customers are going to be laying eggs at the dinner table you know <laughs> well you you'd get a cut of them now we put red onions in, in in the pico as opposed to white <laughs> but um it was all over the place well that was the thing like when we came across it i'm like uh, sasha's perspective because i'm like sasha's gonna go to a different place he's gonna be like okay well wait a minute what can we do with this duck how do we make this duck more valuable but to your point it seemed like they just, it, it, he didn't lay the eggs for very long. He was the million dollar duck that, that laid, you know, not even $50,000 worth of golden eggs. So he's not even the million dollar That's duck. That's what I mean. I mean, like, <laughs> they made it seem like all their problems were solved. I'm like, I got to be honest with you. It's going to cost more to maintain the damn duck. You got to feed the stupid thing. You got to keep it friggin' warm. You got to take care of it. Plus, ducks everywhere all the time you yes. have any idea and that's gonna be in your carpet so now she's got to be cleaning the carpet even more and now they're gonna be like all she does is cook and clean and wasn't enough money for the aggravation for me to be honest with you <laughs> no and it's true it, the duck is gonna end up being more expensive than if he would have just bought jimmy a dog in the first place Yes, and the car was what? The car was seventy five hundred dollars for the car. Yeah, it was. I don't. So yeah, they already yeah. freaking bought more shit than they made. <laughs> I'm mean, already in debt. The duck did nothing except bring them more headaches. I agree. I really thought the setup and the comedy was going to come from this duck was laying too many eggs for them to keep up with, and they were going to have yeah. to hide them. And to me, you're, that's where the neighbor comes in. You're right next door. You have to keep it out of his sightline or stop it from like wandering into the neighbor's house the way it wandered into the radiation room and and stop it from laying an egg in his house. Like I really thought that that's where the comedy would have come from, and I think that that would have been a funnier movie, not for anything. 
what they you're not going to change the value of gold off of $4,500 worth of eggs to the point that the five U.S. <laughs> Treasury officers have to chase. Um, honestly, they they created more damage and liability on the friggin' chase. <laughs> To be honest with you. No, and yeah. you're right. And then you've got the world leaders coming Nuts. in afraid about what this is going to do for the global economy. Yeah. The, meanwhile, if Nixon was the president, I think they have a lot more to worry about. <laughs> yeah. To that point, though, I think what they do successfully with these refineries, I mean, I'm not even sure how they made Katie so dumb that even though the bank tells her what to do, she was able to figure out going to the refineries and, and, you know, just snatching up the checks. Um, I like that she does take a little bit of ownership of it, of I'm going to need a new dress to, you know, go out and do this kind of business. And then she doesn't even wait for answers. She's just literally ripping checks out of people's hands. Um, I think that there was a little bit of a, of a redemption arc for her there, but they do address that they need to spread it around. They can't be going to the same one. She can't be seen, you know, yeah. too frequently. Otherwise, people are going to be on to her. Um, and then they negate all of that because, you know, they they basically say if one of the men tried to do this, they're going, nobody's going to believe this story that it's actually from a duck. But when Katie lies about it because she's a dumb woman, everybody just laughs it off. Yeah, and they don't yeah. question her. That's what I mean. That's what Fred says. He's like, coming from her, they'll never believe it. <laughs> yeah, it was it was so cringy. Yeah, it, it was really just was. a really it cringy, was. cringy line. And the fact that she's so, like, she doesn't even defend herself. She's no. just like, yeah, yeah, I'll get a new dress and I'll do it. Exactly. Um, they they really didn't do her any favors at all. I mean, at one point when she gives the duck away. Fred takes her and starts like shaking her violently. <laughs> and Okay, that was bad. That was that rough. was awful. And you know, the other thing that makes no sense is she's like, Well, I keep I keep my addresses with my recipes in the cookie jar. But the other thing is, she literally just gave the duck away and has no recollection to where she was minutes prior. Yeah. Like it, it it's mind bogglingly bad. That this is what they did. That this is how they wrote poor Katie. One of the things that I think they do sort of redeem themselves on is giving, uh, you know, because there is some science behind this. Um, Albert realizes that the radiation is going to have a half-life. Um, so... You know, we don't know because there's so many contributing factors like we were talking about. If it's the applesauce, if it's the dog barking, if it's the radiation, he does realize that at some point this is going to wear off. So I like that we sort of have an end game in sight and that there is more of a conflict other than the Treasury chasing them down. I wish it, it would have wore off an hour and 20 minutes earlier, to be honest with you. <laughs> but um that's just me. I think that they, they tried to link it back to the science. They tried to tie it back to things making sense for for Albert and for Fred. But it doesn't seem like they ever really had an like a plan. They never had a strategy. And to the point you made earlier, like there could have been true comedy in the in now the duck is overproducing. Like 
Breaking Bad is not an inherently funny show, but Breaking Bad has funny moments in the show when Heisenberg is too successful, when they're making too much crystal. Like, when when it becomes too much for them to handle, there are moments where it becomes funny. Money it, laundering. Money laundering is funny. Like, in, it's unintentionally hysterical. And they could have done something like this here, and they just don't. Instead, they make Katie insufferable. And you know what? They kind of make Jimmy insufferable, too. By the midway point of the movie, I think that everything that made Jimmy so cute and lovable in the first five minutes, he just becomes, like, bratty, and he just stamps his feet and walks away anytime he doesn't get his way. And I think that there was a missed opportunity there for them to write the conflict between father and son because Jimmy's just like, Charlie, 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 I'm never going to find that duck. And then walks away and then the duck follows and, oh, look, I found Charlie. Like, he's just, there's something missing with this character. And I, I feel like either things were rewritten or things got cut out, but we're missing, we're missing in the middle of the movie what's supposed to make you love this character. You know who I thought was the worst character of all? Oh my god! Who who were the the two kids, the brothers that were speeding around on the little friggin' oh, yes. race car? The worst. This the blonde haired kid. Oh my god! First off, that haircut just <laughs> me. I wanted to friggin' hit that kid in the face with an iron. I'm sorry. I don't. I know this is a Disney podcast. Oh my god! Every time that kid like said a line, I wanted to friggin' kill myself. It was awful. Well, you know, no, and I'm glad that you bring this up, Sash, actually, because the thing that struck me about him in particular, not so much the other brother, but him in particular, is, again, it seems like they didn't know what era they were writing in. It was 1971, but they they were writing him as if he was some beatnik that was getting ready to go to Woodstock. You know, like, like, he, he seemed like he was five to eight years out of place. Yeah. Horrible. A, a little bit early, but also a little bit late because they also seem like greasers. But as soon as I saw that, oh God, I'm so glad that you brought this up because I almost forgot about this, Sash. Um, as soon as I saw that go-kart and the running gag with them, you know, just shooting out in the middle of the street, I went, oh God, there's going to be another car chase, which was, you know, what you brought up before is like, all are all of these films taking place in the same universe? And I think that you could, we know it's all on the same Disney lot. This is the Disney back lot. You know, you can see very clearly the absent-minded professor's house um, or the, the frat house in Computer War Tennis Shoes and all of those movies. But the other common thing is that there's always some sort of a car chase and I'm like, they're going to do it again. And this was, I think, by far the most unrealistic one that we've gotten. Um, to, to circle back to your point about Jimmy, I think they forgot about him, honestly. I think it was, you know, you needed him as a plot device to push forward um, the idea of he wants a dog and instead he's getting a duck, albeit just because they don't want to see the duck get killed, they bring him home. Um, but he really... You know, other other than cuddling with the duck and trying to care for him, Jimmy hasn't really done anything until he runs away at this point, which Albert does not even care about. 
And then, so it was like, oh yeah, we forgot about Jimmy. And oh yeah, we forgot about these two neighbors. Let's get them back in here somehow. And they put them all in the car and then we're chasing them through, you know, the back roads of Burbank. Um, it, It just, I mean, it looks okay. I will say most of the editing is pretty good because you've got Albert up on the cherry picker. And most of the wide shots, they did a pretty good job of matching those close ups of when, you know, he's hitting into trees and stuff. I was actually I feel like that's where they spent most of their time um, because it looked pretty good, Um, you know, and then everything comes to a halt when you've got Jimmy in trouble dangling from this ladder uh, between two buildings. Um, I thought that that looked pretty good, too, when it falls and it gets caught on that lower level. Um, And then. Albert saves him. Okay. You know, you know that that's where it's going, but Albert has really done nothing to repair the relationship at this point and nothing to, you know, I mean, it it just doesn't make sense that Jimmy's on the run from his own father. I mean, it does in the sense of he's trying to save the duck, but like, Albert needed to do a little bit more here other than just save his life and then everything is forgiven. There needed to be some kind of conversation or, you know, they didn't even follow up with Albert says in the beginning when he wants the puppy and he can't get it for him. He's like, are we still pals? They don't even call back to that and and resolve that issue. No, there are so many things that have happened, you know, because honestly, like, at this point, we're kind of like fast forwarding through most of the movie because after a while, the second half of this movie all feels like the same scene over and over again. You know, there's there's not any like there's not any one thing that I look at and go, oh, this pivotal moment. Nothing in 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 the second half of this is pivotal. Um, you know, they they rescue the duck and. Every day they sit there with the windows open. The duck can come and go freely as it wants to. Like, and they're trying to protect the duck. Like, nothing, nothing here makes sense. And then you've got the treasury chasing them and Hooper. The only thing that they did that was kind of funny was when Hooper starts to privately investigate uh, the family. His wife always stumbles upon him with binoculars, and it's always when Katie's by herself. And she always makes the jokes of, of a man of your age, and he's like, ah, just get away. Like, they, they, there, there was legitimate comedy in there, wrong place at the wrong time, that I think was funny. Um, it's just a shame that when they got the comedy right, which wasn't often, it was very funny, and they just were so inconsistent. And in the last 40 minutes or so... There's nothing that truthfully happens that you care about. Like, with Jimmy dangling between the ladder, like, your heart should break for that kid. You don't care what happens. And that's a problem. Can I I be honest with you? Please. I I actually fast-forwarded about 12 minutes. As as we were, like, in the last half an hour, I'm like, I got to speed through this. Because, like you said, I felt like, it's not like I'm going to miss anything else for my for my book report today. You know what I mean? I feel like I nailed it all down. <laughs> so I wasn't going to tell you that, but I, I couldn't. I had to shave like 12 minutes off of this movie. Well, no, I th- Honestly, <laughs> I, I think, think that's, that's the runtime of the car chase. It dragged. No, and frankly, like, but I, but I think if there's any indictment of any movie, like, I'm glad that you told us. Like, I think that this is this is sort of the overall, right? 
the fact that you could fast forward through and skip an entire chunk of what is supposed to be like an important part of the movie and miss nothing. That's that tells you everything you need to know about the movie. Yeah. Yep. And then, you know, that's it. Wrapping up here in our final scene in the courtroom, to me, the judge might be the most unrealistic Disney character because he rewards enterprise. I can't believe that that was the <laughs> let them keep the duck. Sure. We're not going to penalize them for paying some bills. I mean, I will say that, too. Um, you know, the lawyer's the only one who really starts spending money and buying new suits and buying the car. All Katie's trying to do is catch up on some bills here. So. I like that even though, you know, the theme is what happens when you get greedy and we see how, uh, you know, that's really the downfall of Albert's character and his relationship to his son. Um, I just thought it was really interesting that, you know, they just let them go. There's not even a slap on the wrist. And there, there's no guarantees that they're not going to do this again because to Sasha's point, you know, this is a $50,000 duck. Who's not to say that they're not going to feed it more applesauce and shove it through the machine so that they can get that Millie. All right. Uh, Hot garbage. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's talk about our cast here for, for a few moments before we give our final review. Not that, not that I think we're spoiling anything here. Uh, Dean Jones plays Albert Dooley and okay. So I liked him in the very beginning. I liked the seeds that they were planting with him being the responsible one and, and sweating everything out and being kind of the working class dad and having to balance trying to satisfy his child with also trying to be responsible. I like where they started planting that. I kind of do like where, you know, his eyes became very wide once Fred started spending money. And the greed sort of overtook him. Like, I think that there were things that they kind of wove in well here. I I like where they all end up at the end. But they just didn't do this character any service. Uh, he he becomes dislikable as a father because you didn't uh, do enough to, to really uh, write on the uh, relationship between him and, 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 and Jimmy. He becomes even worse as a husband. With how he treats Katie, um, it it just for for a for a character that I think in the first five minutes of screen time is is extraordinarily well established. I think that they completely fall off the rails. I would agree. Yeah, same. Uh, he's a hypocrite. He's sexist, and he is impossible to root for throughout this entire film. Which is one which is one of the biggest problems with it because you know he's our lead. We're supposed to be championing him to learn his lesson and put his family first. And instead, I'm just happy to see him get his comeuppance. Sandy Duncan plays Katie. Um, we said it before. We've seen Sandy Duncan in other Disney films where she shines. Um, the fact that she... Listen... The fan bit is very funny. She thinks she's reading the same recipe. She doesn't question it. Fine. The fact that she does things like takes a piece of gold to the bank and goes, that's worth $900. I'd like to deposit this. And she just thinks that she can, that, that, that that's acceptable. Um, the fact that um, when in the car chase scene, when uh, Albert is on the, the ladder on the, the telephone repair truck and they're coming to the overpass and she means to say you're going to 
decapitate him and she goes you're going to decaptivate him uh the <laughs> fact that her mouth is agape all of the time by the way which like she's just she is the she's probably the worst written character that we have ever reviewed on this show i think she's worse than sharpay in in high school musical and, and ryan i think she's worse than both of them they're cringy they're uncomfortable this is worse because this is uncomfortable to a different level um like she's the worst written character that we have ever reviewed on this show i think she was adorable to be honest with you I, I'm going to agree with both of you. I think she was terribly written. Um, I think that there is a little redemption in that she is trying to keep the family strong. She is the only one looking out for Jimmy, and she is trying to solve the problem between the father and son relationship. And she she's also, you know, from the jump, she is trying to solve their financial problems. Um, but I'm also going to agree with Sash. I thought, you know, once, once you take the mouth agape out of it... Um, she was super cute. I love her wardrobe in this. I love the hairstyle. Um, I just wish that they would have done more to write her as a more endearing character. Because then, you know, to your point, I don't think she would have been one of the worst. I think she would have been actually one of the better characters, especially to come out of this era. Yeah. Um, Tony Roberts plays Fred. And what's interesting about this character is... He has moments where he makes a lot of sense where he said, you know, he's telling them we can't spend any money because we don't want to expose ourselves here. We've, we've got to be smart about it. And of course, the greed overtakes him. And as soon as he buys his new suit, now he's like, oh, baby, honey. Like he, now he's oh. now, it's like we've again the 1970s. But you're writing him like he's in the Rat Pack in the <laughs> 50s. Um, I don't think they knew what age they were writing for or what year that they were in. Um I feel like there's conflict that was lost. I think the moment he started spending money, I think that there should have been conflict between him and Albert. And I think that you could have written that in and it would have made a lot more sense. You would have upped the ante a little bit, you know, in regards to, hey, we got to get we got to get out of this with him because he's the one that's going to get us in trouble because he's going to take it one step too far. Especially because... All Albert wanted to do from the beginning was pay his bills. He got greedy, but if it would have given us something to root for with Albert if you did establish that conflict. Because if he just wanted to get the bills caught up and now Fred is, you know, thinking too big, um, I think that would have been a lot more effective. But yeah, Fred uh, couldn't stand him. He is my least favorite character in this movie. And I wish they would have played him for comedy instead. Like if they had given him to your point, because they do the, you know, baby, I wish they had given him like the, uh, the Groucho cigar. Yeah. And then I think he would have been hilarious. He's a very good actor. He's, um, didn't he do, um, the movie with, uh, George Burns in the eighties, 18 again, or something like that. And I know he was in Annie Hall. A lot of Woody Allen movies, I think. Yeah, six of them he did. Yeah. Um, s- talented actor. He but was a- definitely, he was the worst, the worst character, I think. A waste, a waste of talent. I mean, I think that that's a consistent, yeah. you know, Joe Flynn plays Mr. Hooper. We, we, we talked about him through most of what the February last year, 
Um, did a lot of Disney movies. Was very funny in his Disney movies. There, there are moments where I would say that Joe Flynn. I I think that you could almost put him on par with an Ed Wynn with you know how funny he was not quite as iconic but when he nailed it I think that he was just as important for Disney in a certain time period um and and I think that to have him in here and to waste his talent and to waste his comedic timing is an indictment on how this film was written and directed they always make him play these like poindexter characters. And you're right. It is a waste because when he's funny, he's really funny here. They have him, you know, pouring iced tea all over himself over and over again. Yeah. They, they could have done a lot more with him. We have Lee Montgomery as Jimmy. Um, like I said, I, I think that in the very beginning, he's an endearing little kid. And, and by the end, uh, get away from me, dad, dad, save me. Uh, you know, it, it's, I, I have problems rooting for, for him by the end of the movie. I think the setup in the beginning um, is what saves him for me, just because he is so innocent. All he wants is a puppy. And I think what I like about it is he it doesn't feel like he's settled for the duck, even though he named the duck the same thing that he was going to name the dog. Yeah, he's got to learn a few new names. You know, he's an animal lover. He's going to protect this duck no matter what. And even though the car chase is extremely far-fetched, um, you know, I think it keeps it consistent with what makes him a good character. And, you know, he he's just looking out for the little guy. So I kind of like that about him. But I, I do think, I hate to say it, that he probably could have been played by any kid. He was awful. I don't know, man. I'm not a movie analysis like like you guys are, but every component of this movie was just just wrong. It was just terrible. Really. Like, like you said, I, I think the biggest thing for me is I thought this movie was actually supposed to take place in the 50s until I realized Nixon was in there and they were driving like the, the buggy because it made no sense. Like even even from like their their clothing to the way that they were acting, there was just, I don't think they knew what they did. You know what I think this was? I think this was a script that they friggin' put out for like a friend of somebody. They're like, all right, we got to give, you know, Joey a shot at his movie making. Walt died. Now's the time to do it. Because that was crap. There was no reason for this movie to ever even be made. I'm sorry. Ah. <laughs> no, that's a Quiet that's movie. a good take on it, especially thinking about the time period after Walt's death and the son-in-law is in office now. Y- you actually make a really good point there. Yeah, but, you know, it's he he does. I think the point is spectacular. And I think that it's spot on. And I think that that's a great way to to finish off our, our say here, I mean, you know, Sash, I think your final take is is one that we're both going to echo. I mean, is it the worst film we've ever reviewed for Monoreal Radio? I, I think it probably is. I didn't think anything would ever be as bad as High School Musical 2. This is worse. This is worse because not only is it a poorly written film... There are moments of this movie that are uncomfortable to watch. There are moments of High School Musical. It's specifically Ryan and Sharpay because they're siblings that 
almost have like a bizarre. There's a vibe. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's in fleeting moments. This entire movie is borderline uncomfortable to watch. Whether it's the way they treat Katie, whether it's the way they treated the animals, it, like the whole thing is just an absolute train wreck. And I think that Sasha is a hundred percent right. I think that when Walt Disney died and Ron Miller got in, you kind of saw the zany movies, right? And they were, but but there were two sides of the spectrum. There's there's very little middle ground. You have the cat from outer space. You have the computer wore tennis shoes, and then you have this and what is the world's strongest man or the strongest, strongest man in the world, world right? there's 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 no in-betweeners they're one side or they're the other side and i'm confident in saying this is worse than the sequels to computer it's it's worse than than uh hsm2 it's it's worse than the black cauldron i could find redeeming qualities in some of those movies I find nothing redeeming about Million Dollar Duck. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there were moments that I found a little bit redeeming for some of the characters. But I think for me, where I will say that this is the worst one that we've ever reviewed for the show, is that normally when there's a bad movie, you and I can see, we'll, we'll sit here and say, okay, I can see what they were trying to do here. They just didn't do it. I can't think of one instance of, okay, I, I see what the thought process was here, especially, you know, to Sasha's point with there's the, you know, the three steps that we have to get for these golden eggs and, you know, all of it was just completely unmotivated, completely disjointed. And this is speculative, but supposedly this is one of three films that Gene Siskel ever walked out on in the movie. So, Sash, you are in good company fast-forwarding there. Wow. I mean, what a, what a privilege to have my first monorail experience um, being a part of the worst movie you've ever seen. So <laughs> I, I certainly, certainly feel like, like I need an exorcism after watching that. In <laughs> fact, when my... My oldest daughter loves to, when she was a little girl, she would like write books and she would, you know, sit there for days, like writing these stories. And it was cute because a lot of it just didn't make sense. And it was all over the place, but it was cute. I got to be honest with you. I feel like I was watching one of the friggin' books that my daughter, when she was like six was writing for days because it was just. I mean, was it put out, was put out to be like a cute Disney movie, but it just was all over the place. It made no sense. Yeah, I got to be honest with you. Not I've, for me. <laughs> I feel like this is so on brand, though, for our friendship. But thank you for suffering through it. Thank you for being here with us. Please let our listeners know where we can find you, where they can find all things behind the blowhole. Well, first off, I am I'm a married man with three kids and I have three businesses. So there is absolutely nothing in life that could absolutely rattle me or feel that it's torturous. So I actually kind of found this quite uh, quite a breath of fresh air to stop doing what I do normally. And I'd be happy to review crappy movies with you anytime. 
time, so thank you for inviting me. We're going to hold you to and, that. And um, for anybody out there that, yes, no, please, anybody wants to hear uh, some raw and uncensored behind the scenes of what it takes to run a restaurant, uh, tune into Behind the Blowhole. Or you can get us at thewhalestailnorthport.com and check it out. And if anybody uh, is ever up here in Northport from Florida or the Northport people, come say hi. And, you know, that's what we do. We make tacos. We don't care cancer. It's fun. Uh, the best it's tacos. It. He's being I appreciate it. Humble. I have fun. Good. Well, we were happy oh, to have you here. Uh, and we are interested in knowing what you have to say about Million Dollar Duck. Have you seen it? What is you, uh, your review? You can join the conversation on social media at Monoreal Radio on all major platforms or send us an email, monorealradio at gmail.com. News of the Week is coming up, but first a quick break. News of the Week is proudly sponsored by KMV Travel. KMV Travel is a boutique travel agency that helps families plan personalized vacations and create unforgettable memories in the happiest place on earth. If you've dreamed of visiting Waltz Park or racing with Lightning McQueen in Carsland, a KMV Travel Specialist will work with you to customize the perfect getaway for you and your family. Your KMV Travel Advisor will ensure you know the ins and outs of the My Disneyland app, assist with dining reservations, and of course, share their favorite hacks so you can get the most out of your vacation. Visit kmvtravel.com to soar over to California now. If you're thinking of booking a trip to a Disney destination, you have to contact Jackie Zalezi. My husband and I recently celebrated our 10-year wedding anniversary and wanted to go on a trip, just the two of us. Jackie suggested Disneyland, knowing we'd never been and I had been dreaming of going. I am so thankful for her suggestion, as it was the most magical way to celebrate. Jackie got us a fantastic deal, but still constantly check for discounts to make sure we are guaranteed the lowest price. Having recently visited Disneyland, she was a great source for helpful information and had suggestions for everything, including meals, Max Pass, even places to visit in Los Angeles on our non-park day. Upon arrival at our hotel, we experienced the easiest check-in because Jackie had taken care of everything. Throughout our trip, Jackie was in constant contact, making sure we had everything we needed and answering any questions we had. Our vacation was perfect. Disney live action and 20th Century Studios have a new president. Sean Bailey, the longtime president of film production, is going to be stepping down. David Greenbaum is going to be stepping in. And it's very interesting that they selected him because he most recently co-head Searchlight Pictures. And Searchlight, we've talked a lot in the last few weeks as award season is coming and nominations are coming. Where are you seeing a lot of things coming from? Not quote unquote Disney proper. It's Hulu. It's Searchlight. So I am not surprised to hear this. Um, I'm very interested to see what this means for this new title of Disney live action, so mm -hmm. to speak. Um, Obviously, the box office numbers have not been where they want them to be. It's going to be interesting to see where the pivot is in terms of Disney live action and what the response is going to be with new films moving forward. Based on box office numbers, uh, making a change was not a surprise, but I actually really appreciate that they rewarded, um, you know, a proven success record especially after something like the acquisition of poor things that has been sweeping award season so 
I, I hope I'm not reading too much into it by thinking that, you know, they are going to start shifting and looking at original concept. Um, so the timing is not a surprise, but um, makes me hopeful. Um, got a lot of parks news here. Yeah. Putting a lot of work into Tokyo Disney Sea, which we knew was coming, but now we've started to get uh, some concept art released for uh, Rapunzel's Forest. So it looks like there's going to be um, a water attraction, which you hope that they do, right? I mean, everybody wants to see the floating lanterns gleam. You know, that, yeah. that would have missed the mark if they didn't do something like that. Um, but it looks really nice. Uh, we got some more concept art for Frozen Kingdom and uh, for Peter Pan's Neverland, which I am really intrigued by because, you know, you and I had one of the things we couldn't stand most about Peter Pan and Wendy was that they missed Neverland entirely and they didn't capture, you know, the the look of what you imagine it to be or all of the different facets of each land. Yeah. And it looks like they do that here uh, and you're going to get, you know, B basically what Peter Pan's flight is as a dark ride, you're going to get a whole land out of it. So that looks pretty cool. Um, but I thought, you know, it's interesting, even though they've made all of these announcements uh, and these lands have been known entities for a while. Now we're starting to see the concept art come out and get people excited about it because what else happened in Tokyo? We got Nintendo world over at the competition and, you know, I don't think that seeing this parallel of money being invested over there, um, you know, is any coincidence because now we're also starting to see it on the home front here in Florida. Obviously, we know that Epic Universe is coming to Universal uh, Orlando in 2025. And I was surprised for a moment when I saw Disney open up their 2025 bookings from January to October. Um, you know, that's earlier than we've ever seen it. Even, you know, on the travel agent end of things, we didn't know this was coming. They, they kind of just released it and it was like, okay, it's happening tomorrow. Get your wait list ready because, you know, tomorrow you're going to be able to book these things. And I was like, wow, you know, we, we've gone from six months out to a year out being able to book to now almost two years being able to book, which is wonderful for the consumer because it's a $200 deposit, which is refundable up until 30 days before your travel. So even if you're not 100% sure that you want to plan a Disney trip for 2025, you can get a quote, you can put the deposit down, and then you can always decide, you know what, we're not going to do it. Um, so it is great, but it's not completely altruistic because by once I really started to think about it, I was like, oh, they want to know if people are going to be staying on property. They want to know how successful they are going to be against the competition and now Universal becoming more than a weekend park they're they're becoming really a week-long park so disney's trying to get ahead of that and figure out what their numbers are and they're incentivizing now by offering for the first day of your trip it's only for the first day so also a means of hoping that people will add a day to their trip i think they're incentivizing by offering free admission to the water park um so that is something like you've never seen something like that before 
and I think that they're probably thinking that they can utilize something that's underutilized by most park guests. Um, and I think they're also using this as a means of when, when Universal opened uh, Volcano Bay, it was a bigger deal than Disney reopening their water parks that operate sort of seasonally and go through maintenance or whatever. I think they're trying to not only incentivize you to stay on property by offering you a free admission, but they're also trying to showcase, hey, they have a few parks and a water park. We've got parks and a water park. It's not none of this is by accident, but I actually give them credit. I think that that's the right move. And I think it's smart for them to do what they can at this point to incentivize people to stay on their property. I agree. I mean, I think what they're doing here by opening the door to the water parks is that, you know, if you're considering maybe a four day, uh, day in each park type of vacation, extend that stay, maybe make it five days. If you, if your kids love the water park because you enjoyed it when you got to go for free, maybe you'll tack it on to the next trip. So I think it's a smart business move on their part, but it is only for the first day of your trip. That's the catch. Um, but I actually like that from a planning perspective or like thinking about how you and I would do vacations. If we were to look at the water park as like a half day park, I like the idea of like flying in, change into your bathing suit, go to the water park. And if you only stay for a couple of hours, no harm, no foul, because it's free. Sit by the pool, have a cocktail, do the lazy river and wait for your room to be ready. Yeah. Instead of flying in in the morning, racing to a park and then feeling like you're only going to get on half of the attractions that you want to. Um, I think this is a good way to like, you know, set the tone for a vacation. Absolutely. Now that's, those are trips in 2025. Let's talk about little staycations or getaways or vacations coming up in the near future specifically this upcoming weekend. If you are a Disney fan, I absolutely suggest if you haven't gotten a ticket yet or if you haven't considered going, absolutely check out the House of Mouse Expo. It's going to be at the Osceola Park Heritage uh, Heritage Center. Uh, it's going to be this Saturday and Sunday, March 2nd and 3rd. Tickets and details are at houseofmouseexpo.com. We are going to be there set up. Uh, we have a vendor set up, but we are not selling anything. If it's on the table, it's there to be taken for free. This is just us wanting to be a part of the Disney community. Michelle and Scott run an absolute incredible event. Um, a lot of great meet and greet opportunities. They, they're they still announcing. Guess Barry Boswick got announced last night. I was night. just going to ask if you saw that. I, for one, am so excited. I was not familiar with his work in Phineas and Ferb, because I was like, how how does this happen? Because um, I know him from Rocky Horror Picture Show. So I am like pumped beyond all reason to meet Brad. Um, but otherwise, yes, for Disney fans, he's done a lot of voice actor work. I'm just very, uh, we loved House of Mouse Expo last year. Um, so if you are in the area, if you're coming on vacation, or maybe you got some frequent flyer points and you're looking to get away and come see some warm weather and meet some incredible uh, Disney guests. House of Mouse Expo, absolutely the way to go. It's a great time. Get your tickets now if you haven't already gotten your tickets. And if you're not able to make it, we are going to try, once we get the lay of the land, to do an Instagram live so you can tune in and we'll take you around to some 
booths and vendor setups and things like that. Walk so the floor, yeah. Yeah, keep an eye on our social media this weekend. Yes, um, but we want to know what you have to say about uh, the Disney news. Are you excited for uh, the expansions and the new things coming over to Tokyo Disney Sea, are you excited that they're adding the water parks for free? Is that does that incentivize you to to book and to come down? Let us know on uh, all major uh, social media platforms at Monoreal Radio, or you can email us monorealradio at gmail.com. Thank you all so much for joining us this and every week on Monoreal Radio. Monoreal Radio will always be free, but there are many ways that you can help support the show. Please give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. Join the conversation on social media at Monoreal Radio on all major platforms. Share your favorite episodes with family and friends who may enjoy them. And of course, book your next trip with Jackie. Links to everything can be found at monorealradio.com. We all get one story. Make yours a magical one. On behalf of Monoreal Radio, we'd like to thank you for joining us. We'll see you at the movies, the stuff dreams are made of.